Welcome to Block Runners. I'm Professor K, the Shanghaipreneur. And I'm Mr. Lowe. Blockchain Dev. And I'm DigiB, Podcast Boss. On this show, we're going to highlight the good and call out the bad in blockchain so you can well prepare for the inevitable future. Welcome to Block Runners. This is our fourth show, which we're calling Hey, I'm Not Lazy. I Even Have Proof of Work. And yes, that is our topic today. We're talking about proof of work. So let's start off with the most basic question What? Is proof of work. Amal, why don't you take the first stab at it? And then uh, Nick and I will step in whenever we feel like we can. Oh, well, thank you for putting me on the spot there, Chris. Um, hey, brother, that's why you're here. <laughs> All right, let me reach deep here. Proof of work. It's a way of life. <laughs> oh, no, now you're throwing me off my game. So <laughs> proof of work is, is a mechanism used by a distributed community in the case of blockchain, is to prove that you have uh, done the work necessary to compu- uh, to create a new block. Proof of work is based on uh, is based on a hashing algorithm, where you expend computational power to solve this puzzle, and once you solve the puzzle, you broadcast uh, your solution to the rest of the network, and then they will look at it and say, oh, let's let's make sure that this person actually did the work. And they use this, uh, they, they use uh, a test, a hashing test to show that you indeed performed the work and expended a significant amount of computational power. And- All right. So I'm going to stop you there. Let's back up and reverse a little bit, and let's talk about the history of proof of work. It's been around for a while, right? So blockchain did not invent or discover this. It's, it's been a system, like you said, or a protocol, or an accountability system for a while. Uh, originally, it was invented as a deterrent uh, in order to uh, prevent denial of service attacks or things like spam. But in blockchain, it's, it's inverted, right? So meaning that instead of being a preventative tool, it's an enabling device. So, okay, what, what does that mean? When I first brought this up... Sounds like you're trying to like, get me to drink some over here. <laughs> which which we are doing save uh, save Amal God bless him uh, but so essentially uh, what what I, what we mean by that is that proof of work is a concept or a protocol that's used uh, in digital systems to confirm a transaction. Am I right on that, Amal? Yeah, and the confirmation will indicate whether or not you perform the work. Uh, I'm not so sure about your explanation that uh, you have a system to, to that you can alter a system, because um, I think that's just your regular hashing uh, system. That's just regular hashing. Proof of work is, I think, a little bit different, but I can't think of a good way to explain it. Well, let's start. Let's start by explaining a hash. We've now hash has been brought up several times. Uh, so who wants to give it a go on explaining what is a hash? In the South, it's a very delicious food involving lots of pig parts that I don't really know. Um, in other parts of the world, it's also very tasty. And in engineering, uh, as far as I know, a hashing function just purely obfuscates the data that you may be putting into the ledger. 
Right. So a, a hashing function takes an input and produces an output. And in regards to that output, that is a hash. And what creates these hashes are particular algorithms. And there's lots of different kinds of algorithms out there. Uh, Bitcoin uses SHA-256. Uh, Nick, you were talking about pre-show a bunch of other examples of different algorithms that are used to create hashes. Um, go ahead. Yeah, to the layman, uh, Ethereum uh, uses ETHash and all the Z privacy coins like Zcoin, Zclassic, um, Horizon, they use something called Equihash. Um, uh, and this is actually, uh, something that's akin to SHA three is what Amal was saying. And, uh, uh, but anyway, each chain has a choice to pick what hashing algorithm that it allows to verify transactions on the chain. That's so the basic in the case idea. of Bitcoin, they use SHA two, five, six, and without getting into the nitty gritty of exactly what that means, uh, what happens in, in regard to a hash, and Amal, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you, you have this kind of computer program, uh, a dialog box, if you will, and you put in information, which describes a transaction that you would like to record on the blockchain. Because remember, a blockchain is just a digital transaction, a, a record, a digital record of transactions. So then you, you enter in all this information into your dialog box, and then the algorithm uh, runs its math uh, according to the inputs, and then produces a randomized number, uh, either a, a number or a combination of numbers and letters. And in the case of SHH, SHA256, uh, it's a hexadecimal hash uh, for Bitcoin. And uh, we don't want to get too into the nitty-gritty of what that means, but essentially um, it's a, a, number, a, a group of numbers and letters. And it's a code, essentially, that represents the input that you are trying to add to the blockchain or the transaction that you're trying to add to the blockchain. Now, this, this hash is very special. Uh, I would call magical because I'm not a math person uh, in that uh, each input produces a authentically and original uh, and unique hash <coughs> number. Um, and, so, and so that's how um, kind of the hash system works. Amal, will you pick up from here and kind of help finish explaining what a hash sure. is and how it works? Sure. I, uh, let's uh, step back a bit. So okay. a hash is a, you could think of it as just a math function or a transformation function that takes an input and it produces an output. And there are certain properties that you need to consider or that you need to appreciate about a hash uh, function. The first is that the same input will always yield the same output. What that means is that if you have an input and you give a hash, only the original input will produce that same hash. And that's important. That'll allow you to verify that the information that someone sent you was not altered because you will run that hash function. And if it yields the same result, then you can say, ah, I have the original content. The second thing, a uh, property of a hash function is that, or that we want in a hash function, is that it will always produce, no matter the size of the input, it'll produce the same length output. And that's great because uh, there's a, there's, you want it, you want things to be of the same length. Uh, that'll make it hard, uh, 
that 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 will that will make it more usable for a number of reasons. The third thing of a uh, property uh, important property of a hash function is that if you alter anything in the input, it will have a drastic, a random change in the output. And not just uh, the kind where if I alter one letter in the input, then only one letter in the uh, resultant hash will change. No, it's more like you alter one and uh, there are uh, hundreds of bits that are changed, or it looks like a completely uh, different uh, output, and it's and there's in, and in such a way that you can't correlate uh, modifications in the input with the output. That so would... let me let me kind of resummarize what you just said in, in more layman's terms. Like whenever you change your input, the hash output is completely change to be a new and unique and randomized uh, hash or number or set of numbers and letters, it still is the same set amount of digits, whatever the blockchain uh, is, the length is, allocates yeah. right, uh, as their, their set number of digits. Um, but, but every time you change your input, even just one character in your input then will produce a completely brand new unique hash. And so uh, what that does is it makes it more difficult to uh, crack the code. So in se- essentially, um, it's a, on one hand, it's a security uh, element, would you say? Um, yeah, um, that's, that, that's, that, that, that's one of the f- uh, functions it performs, yeah. And then, uh, so bringing this all back to Bitcoin and, and blockchain. So, so we're using, you know, hashes in order to code the input or the transactions that you're trying to attach to the ledger or the block uh, or the blockchain, excuse me. Um, so the the purpose of hashes and uh, in a blockchain is to serve one as a security measure and two as an optimization tool, if I'm correct, right? Because it would be really difficult to you know, try to process a transaction in, in its entirety, right? If you have hundreds and hundreds of pages of information that you want to attach to a blockchain to record a specific transaction, legal documents and uh, and all kinds of things, that would be really inefficient. But then these algorithms then crunches that input down to a singular hash, which then becomes much more efficient to to process by nodes or computers. Would that be correct? Um, kinda. You can think of uh, the hash output as a fingerprint for the input document, and it's going to be unique in the way that fingerprints are unique for human beings. So the result of a hash function is a fingerprint for the document, and you can do things with that fingerprint. You can utilize the fingerprint to, to as a proxy for the document, but eventually you have to get to to the document. But we're we're straying off topic. So one other thing about the hash function is it's very easy to compute or to validate an input. If you're given an input, you run the hash and it's very quick. And this fits into the scheme of how proof of work works. Um, Proof of work is implemented in uh, Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin because the miner will have to invest a lot of computational power to come up with the nonce and get mine the new block. 
but then everyone else can quickly verify that he did the work because they'll be able to produce the same hash output very quickly and move on in their, their game. Now you mentioned a new word. You just said nonce. You, you want to touch real quick on what a nonce is? Yeah, my, my favorite word is nonce from researching the show. It's, it's very, All right, very then, simple. Uh, you go first, Nick. It's very simple. <laughs> it's a number only used once. So you expend all this hash power trying to find this one hexadecimal number, which will only be used once. And then once you find it, then you can create the block. And then I think the other thing that we should add here is that the verifiers of that block should ideally be able to do their verification, and we should have multiple parties verifying that transaction before the next block is created. So in Bitcoin... A block is created every 10 minutes, so you have 10 minutes to do that verification. In Ethereum, it's much faster. So as Amal was saying, we need to emphasize that the using this hashing algorithm needs to enable verifiers to do their verification quickly. Otherwise, you won't be able to create a blockchain. So when you say verifiers, we're talking about miners, right? And that's the job of miners. So who wants to start to take a stab at defining the role of a miner and a blockchain node and, and what, what that means? Well, let's, let's go back to, well, I think this will touch on it with a nonce. In, in Ethereum, there are two, number used only once is, is interesting because nonce has two meanings, I believe, in Ethereum. One is it's, a, it's associated with an account so that when you do a, when you, when you, process a transaction or you uh your your wallet will say oh this is my first transaction and then you do another transaction this is my second transaction each transaction will have a nonce associated with it so that the system will know hey you were on uh you were previously on transaction one and now i expect you to be on transaction two for the next one and that's a interesting security measure so that uh, you can't, you know, the system can't be rolled with some kind of playback yeah. where you can just issue those transactions. So that's one use of a nonce in Ethereum. The other use of it is utilized by miners. So Chris had touched on uh, the set of inputs that need to go into, that, that need to be put into a hash function. And the set of data is... um. The, all the previous transactions, the hash of the previous block so that you can link it, and the puzzle, that, that's part of the input, and then you have to come up with this nonce that will satisfy, uh, that will create a hash that satisfies a certain criteria. Um, you could say, I want the, the winning hash or any of the winning hashes to begin with a certain uh, set of characters and what the miner does is he keeps randomly guessing a nonce that when applied to the hashing function will create a hashing result a hash result that has a certain shape i.e. begins with uh, a certain set of leading digits zeros or or some other uh, some other characteristic specified by the, the blockchain. Does that make sense? So here you're saying that miners can pick and choose the transactions that they want to bundle into their block. Is that true? 
Yes. There's um, What they do is there's a pool of unverified transactions that they get to choose from. They put it in their block, so that's, uh, that's part of the data that goes in. And then they have to <clears throat> come up with the nonce that will create a hash that fits a certain uh, shape, i.e. begins with a certain number of digits or certain certain digits. Yeah. Number of digits. And then once they once they get it right, then they're rewarded by the blockchain system with cryptocurrency. Yes. Right? Well once they get it right, they broadcast it to the network. And because they did all this work, you know, to guess the puzzle, all the other miners are are still trying to guess the puzzle. But as soon as someone announces it, all the other miners can say, hey, did he really solve that problem? Did she really solve that problem? They just hashed his data, and they're like, oh, yeah, he did. Let's move on. Because <clears throat> that person will get rewarded in cryptocurrency of the blockchain to, uh, for, for, solving, for solving the next block. And in Bitcoin, it's what, 12.5 Bitcoins right now for every, uh, every successful mining operation? Yes, that's true. So for every block, every block you mine in Bitcoin right now is twelve point five bitcoins, um, and I think in Ethereum you are earning the gas fees which are attached to each of those transactions, as well as you're getting part of the inflation of the currency because unlike Bitcoin, uh, which is limited to twenty one million bitcoins and will never be more than that. Uh, Ethereum is an inflationary currency, kind of like the U.S. dollar or the Chinese yuan, um, and it just keeps minting new currency. And the idea behind that is that most economies are based on inflationary currency and, as a way to incentivize people to do the work. In a future Bitcoin world, when all the Bitcoins are mined, then we will have a problem in terms of uh, this economic incentive because there will no longer be the 12.5 Bitcoin. Uh, you will only be earning the transaction fees on each of those transactions. So people worry about incentivizing the provision of, of hash power. Um, and this is why Ethereum chose to create an inflationary currency. And uh, because uh, Vitalik saw that, you know, at some point in the future, there will be less incentive to mine Bitcoin. So it logic would, would dictate that maybe there will be less hash power on the Bitcoin blockchain once there's no free Bitcoin to be earned by mining the blocks. Interesting. Well, so to summarize our discussion so far, proof of work is simply a protocol or a confirmation system that's used by some blockchains, uh, one of which being Bitcoin, in order to confirm transactions that are being recorded on the open ledger that is a blockchain. And the system uses a digital hashes or a sequence of numbers and letters to authenticate these transactions that are being recorded on the blockchain by miners. And when miners successfully confirm these hashes and then thus the content of the block or the, the transactions that have been selected by the miners to be confirmed and recorded on the blockchain as valid, then they're rewarded by the, uh, the blockchain's digital cryptocurrency. And in the case of Bitcoin, you get 12.5 per block. Um, now, that just summarizes how Bitcoin does their confirmation systems. 
but of course, there's other types of confirmation systems out there, and we'll try to talk about those in further shows. Uh, who wants to throw out there another type of confirmation system other than proof of work that we might talk about in a future show? Oh, there's so many. I mean, you have proof of stake and different types of proof of stake. So you have delegated proof of stake and and then you you have uh, proof of importance, which is something that NIM uses. And, and everyone's sort of looking to try to create a way to make well, basically what these what what these proofs do the proof of work and the proof of stake is they secure the blockchain and proof of work has secured the bitcoin blockchain for 10 years and the ethereum blockchain for six years and so it's kind of proven itself as the best way to have a secure blockchain however uh there are problems and if you're a little bit more uh, tree hugger than me you would say, oh, there's so much energy that's spent on all of this processing power uh, to secure the blockchain. We should really figure out a way to uh, secure the blockchain without using all of this um, electricity because it takes a lot of electricity to spin up all of these machines to perform all these calculations. And so that's where... So proof of work was, was the first, right? It was the first used by a blockchain system in order to you know, confirm transactions on a blockchain. Now you just mentioned a whole bundle of other different types of uh, protocols that are used in blockchain, and each one is, is being discovered in order to try to make the process more efficient. And, um, and so what, you're, what I hear from you is that the proof of work system is pretty inefficient. And, and you, 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 you called the people who are worried about that tree huggers. Why is it a problem that proof of work is inefficient? To explain, explain to me, um, like in, in you know, high school terms, why the inefficiency is a problem. So one of the issues is that basically you're given this magic number and you're trying to solve for it every 10 minutes. And all of the computation that you expend to try and find this magic number doesn't go to... Um, any other useful purpose. For example, uh, one of the first sort of distributed computing uh, networks that I was introduced to as a kid was something called SETI, which is the uh, Secure Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And it's just that we have so much data out there that we are trying to process through all of the Hubble telescope images and all of the other telescopes out there and all of their data that we need to, uh, and it costs a lot of money for that processing power, so people can contribute the processing power of their laptop or their idle computer or whatever in the garage, and they can help NASA look for extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, that would be an example of taking like that extra cycles of processing power and using it for something quote-unquote useful. Um, but on the Bitcoin blockchain and any other proof-of-work chain, most of those computations uh they are not served the only thing they accomplish is to look for that nonce they're not accomplishing so why would it why would environmentalists be worried about this okay because there's also something called the difficulty adjustment so as more hashing power comes onto the blockchain then you need to make it more difficult to find that nonce so when Bitcoin first started, or when any chain first starts, any proof-of-work chain first starts, you can mine those coins on your laptop. 
But as people hear that, like in any economic situation, if I hear that I'm going to make money from that, then I'm going to contribute my resources to that, which is good for the ecosystem. But then that means that there's more competition in the space. And so once there's more competition in the space, I can no longer mine the cryptocurrency with my laptop alone. I need to graduate to GPUs, so gra graphics processing units. And once there's a bunch of graphics processing units on the, on the, on the chain mining for this nonce, Eventually, if the cryptocurrency continues to increase in price, there will be an incentive for someone to go out and develop something called an ASIC, A-S-I-C, which is an application-specific integrated circuit. And this, these things add tons of processing power to the blockchain, but they also crowd out all the little guys. Um, and they also take tons and tons and tons of energy to run these things, So, which is why you see those ASIC farms concentrating in places where there's cheap electricity in China and Greenland and whatever. And also with people who have a lot of money to buy these ASIC machines, uh, it's sometimes a new, a newly designed and newly produced ASIC machine can cost like $3,000. And a mine would have, you know, thousands of these things whirring away. So you can start to see why people get angry at proof of work chains because they expend so much electricity. I mean, we could use that electricity to give to, you know, poor people in the rural areas, or we could use that electricity to make sure that the farmers all have light during the night or, or whatever. Um, so that's why we see a huge push to try and create different uh, consensus mechanisms uh, that are more efficient um, from a power perspective. All right. Uh, so then... Go ahead, Amal. I just want to say two things. I'm glad you said consensus mechanism because what we're talking about proof of work, it is a consensus mechanism uh, that uh, allows everyone to agree that, hey, our ledger is what it should be. And the other thing I would say is that uh, another reason, uh, Nick explains like uh, really well why we should be concerned about this because there are going to be places that uh, that have that have cheap electricity that are being, that people are gonna to choose to invest it in this versus something else that may be more necessary in the greater good. And this proof of work uh, consensus mechanism will eat up a lot of resources and deprive other, uh, other things. But what could be better than, you know, getting rid of the centralized banking system that is essentially, you know, this monolithic tool of elite capital hoarding, uh, you know, members of society to take advantage of the poor and continue to, you know, make the rich richer. And that's the counter argument. I mean, if we assume that Bitcoin is going to become an alternative to the international monetary system, then yeah, then all of a sudden we can start, start talking about uh, how much energy is consumed by the the sum of Bank of America, Deutsche Bank, China Construction Bank, and on and on and on. And then I think if you compare, uh, you know, those huge institutions versus the Bitcoin blockchain, of course you're going to find that those institutions expend a lot of energy. However, um, how long is it going to take before Bitcoin really even comes close to taking over that particular function and how likely is it that we'll ever 
completely take over that function. I mean, in my wildest of dreams, I think maybe Bitcoin gets 5% of international currency reserves. I mean, and that's a very rosy picture that would mean that Bitcoin would be worth tons and tons of money. But even then, you're going to have to uh, be, you're going to have to accept that, yeah, Bitcoin works on proof of work. And yeah, uh, we're still going to have banks and all those other institutions. So I think that this, uh, you know, gives a lot of food for thought, a lot of uh, for people to chew on. And I think we could get really deep into, um, you know, philosophy and uh, economics here uh, in several different ways. But to try to stay on topic, um, let's let's finish talking about proof of work by explaining what it does, right? What, what, what does proof of work contribute to? And I think we've touched upon these just now uh, in that it creates a decentralized system. Well, who wants to take a stab at why a decentralized system is perhaps better than a centralized system? Uh, go ahead, Nick. The whole point of Bitcoin is to solve the problem of virtual currency, which had been tried before with Hashcash and eGold. And those things had been shut down by centralized authority because the people or the entities that were issuing that currency were also centralized. And it's easy if you provide one surface to attack. You can just shut down that server. However, if you want to try and shut down Bitcoin and it's on a distributed ledger, which is verified and proved by proof of work, then you're talking about, you know, at this point, 10,000 plus computers, which are maintaining that ledger. You can't shut it down. So the true innovation of this, of Satoshi's white paper, you know, happy birthday for that white paper is the fact that it solves a double spending problem by maintaining this distributed ledger. Um, we can ensure that I am not spending my currency twice. If, uh, if it were a centralized ledger, I could spend it and then I could alter the centralized ledger and then spend it again. But since it's distributed and it, the same information is on 10,000 other computers, the likelihood of that happening is very little. So that's the, that's the big issue behind uh, decentralization and the proof of work uh, because it proves that we do not double spend the currency. So essentially a decentralized system allows for accountability to occur without having to trust a single centralized entity to account for other um, people in a transaction. Uh, instead... And you can't... Go ahead. And you can't censor. You can't censor that centralized authority either. And uh, proof of work is, uh, by, by definition, open and transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's, a, it's an open system. Everyone sees the same uh, transaction in blockchain in order for this to work. So there's, there's no kind of hiding or cheating that can happen. It creates, and I hate this term, a trustless uh, situation, a scenario, a trustless economy or marketplace, if you will, uh, which is very interesting. Amal? So proof of work, in, in my my understanding is that it allows for this distributed ledger and it creates the consensus mechanism to make sure that everyone 
agrees on what the rules for what gets on the ledger. So it allows for that through this competitive mining uh, scheme. Um, and you talked about trustless. Let's talk about, there's also the cost of doing transaction in our current system. Uh, when you want to move value from, you know, from one person to another person, you have to go through uh, a bank. The bank may take uh, may take some may take a cut. They could um, take their own sweet time to get the money to you, and whatever you have to do this kind of value transfer, you have to rely on them, the middlemen. With a decentralized system, you could just say, "Hey, I want to uh, transfer value to this person." Boom, it's done. And when the miner uh, mines a block to put it on, then you can assume that the person has that value. Uh, and and the tr and when we talk about trustless, the tr we're not trusting in the system, in these mathematical systems to make sure that the transaction is done and we don't have to rely on the reputation of a bank. We have to rely on the correctness of a mathematical algorithm. And I would prefer the algorithm over some fat cat bank. Yeah, because, you know, these banks uh, at the end of the day are run by a group of people. And, you know, pre-show we were talking about the nature of human beings <clears throat> being, uh, you know, likely selfish. And when you have a, a centralized system or a middleman that's in charge of um, being a regulator or a distributor of funds or a holder of value, uh, you essentially have to trust that centralized system to do the right thing. And uh, if anyone remembers 2008, uh, that doesn't always happen, right? Um, it's These banking systems, uh, at the end of the day, are run by people who are capable of acting very selfishly. And uh, we've seen that happen. And, uh, and individuals in society have suffered as a result. And a lot of smart people remember that. And you, you can you know, argue that the system of blockchain was created kind of as a response to this, this need for another way. I just want to – we were talking about this uh, this last week when um, we were discussing uh, Thomas Lee's presentation on his analysis on cryptocurrency. And one thing that struck me – there are many things that struck me, but the one thing that really was up there was that – uh, the surveys that people have done about trust, do you trust your bank? Uh, do you trust your government? And, um, you know, there was a significant amount of, of uh, no trust in, in the banks. Um, and there was significant uh, lack of trust in governments. And, and he did an interesting correlation that showed that the places where there was the least trust were the places that were more involved in cryptocurrencies development, which is, you know, interesting, right? So th th there is a need. It's not only the smart people, but the young, the generation that's about to get screwed are saying, hey, there has to be a better way. This this is not working, and, and this is their shot. I have two two stories related to this word, and I think we can wrap it up then. Uh, the first story is related to me by the the CEO of Horizon. It used to be called Zencash, and he was telling a story about one of his friends 
and he was trying to give his friend some money for his birthday. And his friend, his friend's son, his friend's son is like 12 years old. And that 12 year old told his dad, wait, so you're going to put that money. That's my birthday gift in the bank. Why would you do that? Because then they have the money. I don't have the money. And this, this is a kid that like basically, you know, has grown up with Bitcoin and other like Zen cash and whatever as, as his way of transferring value. He's not going to trust the banks. He doesn't even want to put his savings in the banks now when he's 12 years old. And I think that's kind of like the Tom Lee argument. Like we need to be looking at what that generation is thinking. And my second story is, uh, it's really funny uh, at Dark Matter where I work, we were trying to translate the word trustless into Chinese for one of our, uh, one of our WeChat posts. And (laughs) The, the head of, uh, of the China marketing for Dark Matter said, how do I translate this word trustless? Is it no trust or is it without trust? Or I, it doesn't make any sense. Should be no but, need for trust, right? Yeah, but it's a really hard concept to convey across cultures, apparently. Uh, we don't even have the words in every language to talk about what trustless means, because I mean, you could easily see how you could misinterpret that. So does it mean there's no trust or does it mean that we don't have any trust? How do you even translate that? It's very interesting that we have these new institutions and we're going to have to establish a new vocabulary and a new way of talking about it across because they're, they're global phenomenons and we have to, uh, figure out for every culture how to convey that idea. I, j- I just want to say about trustless. Um, yeah, we're we're talking about middlemen, right? And we're talking when we talk about middlemen in context and disruption, we're talking about efficiencies, and those are important aspects of this as well. Um, Whenever you have a middleman, a middle a middleman always gets their cut, and and between certain types of transactions in our system now, you have a bunch of middlemen, interior men, I guess, uh, that have their hand out and are not really contributing it, tr- contributing anything uh, in the transaction other than to uh, other than a an expense that you have to pay them, and so we can go to a system that uh, doesn't need this anymore, where it's just the endpoints or the major actors in the transaction. You, the supplier, and the final destination are the only people that need be involved. Yeah. Instead of paying someone to verify a transaction, the transaction can be verified by an already distributed system of accountability that you are uh, participating yeah. or, in. Or even a, like a case that, that would make more sense, like real estate. If I wanted to sell my house, right now I have to go get a realtor, and then the person who wants to buy needs a, to get a realtor, and uh, then a lawyer and all this other all these other people, and... When all is said and done, you know they have to be paid. What does a realtor? What does a realtor really do? They list it. They show up and they they let people view, and then they want like eight uh, percent of the final sale for doing, yeah. And 
you could say that's inefficient and you could have a system where you put your house on sale, you figure out a way, maybe virtualize offerings to view, maybe schedule views using your own time management systems. People come, they see, and uh, when they're ready to pull the trigger, the money goes from them to you and you send them the deed and you move on without having to that 8K cut. There's a lot of use cases where we can replace the middleman like this, exactly what you're talking about. But all of this is enabled by proof of work. That's right. And until we come up with a better system, and maybe it'll happen soon, and maybe when Ethereum implements uh, the hybrid proof of work and proof of stake system, which I think is going to be called Casper. It's no, it's it's now being known as Serenity. Ah, Serenity. What a nice word. Serenity now. And yes, he used the uh, the Seinfeld uh, picture. Serenity <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, Much better than Casper. Yes. Uh, so, you know, as we move forward in the blockchain space, maybe we'll find an alternative to proof of work. But right now, proof of work is literally the best way we have to secure any blockchain. And so I think it's going to be around with us for a while. And uh, I think it does the job that, we needed to do right now. And then in a future show, we're going to talk about proof of stake as being uh, one of the, uh, I guess, brothers or sisters or cousins of this accountability system that seems to be popular. Let's, let's call it, let's call it consensus system. Cons- consensus. A consensus system then, uh, if you will. Yeah. Like we come to consensus, we agree on something, right? And to come to consensus, you need to have a group of people, miners or uh, everyone in the distributed system and how they come to consensus for adding uh, transactions to the ledger. So we're definitely going to do a deep dive on these alternative systems. Uh, and yes. and we'll, we'll save that for another show. We've already hit 40 minutes, which is a good 10 minutes past our 30-minute uh, you know, target share. So any, any final thoughts uh, from... From you two gentlemen? No, I think it's exciting, and I think we have a lot of stuff we can cut from this to bring it down to 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can cut it. Uh, I'm just going to air the whole thing. I think it was a good show. Uh, Nick, got anything? Uh, I used to think that proof of work was the worst consensus mechanism we could possibly have. It takes so much resources just to get to consensus on who spent what kind of air coin on who. But... For me, uh, after being in the space for a year plus now, I think actually it's the most secure and the best way to go about transferring value from one person to another. That has limitations and scale that needs to be addressed. Sure, but uh, those things can be solved uh, by you know second layers, third layers, whatever, or you could break out different specific use cases for different proof-of-work chains. There's a lot of different solutions, but you know, that's the point of this space is we're constantly changing our opinions and being that it's a new space, that's wholly to be expected. This is our show about proof of work. And don't, don't forget to check out the show notes where there's some very good links on explaining what proof of work does and what hashing systems are. And you can experiment with it to get a better idea visually. Tune in for our next show. And until then, we'll see you on the moon. moon.